Well, hi. I hope you had as wonderful a week as I've had, and what a beautiful Saturday. I mean, it feels like fall out there. It's great. Um, and with that in mind, two weeks from right now, or actually this weekend, we are celebrating a service called Watermark. And for those of you who are Saturday night, I, I need to let you know probably what you've seen in our media for a long time, but two weeks from this weekend, we're only having one weekend service, and it's at 1030 on Sunday morning, so I know that that's going to mess some of you up who come on Saturday nights, and sorry about that, that two weekends from now, there won't be a Saturday night service, but what we're going to be doing is celebrating baptism outdoors, and we have, I think, over 120 people waiting for baptism. It is going to be an awesome <laughs> celebration. So... For those of you who normally come on Saturday, I know I'm asking a lot, but I'd like to ask you to, to be here on August 24th at 10.30 on Sunday morning, which right now we have three weekend services and none of them are at 10.30, but all of them will be at 10.30 on that weekend. And we want to encourage you to do several things because it's going to be an awesome service. I, I've never been in a service where 130 people are baptized, and I think we're going to see a lot more than that, actually. Um, it's just going to be great. So please come. I need to ask you to bring seating for yourself. If you've got folding chairs or something, or you know, if you've got camp chairs, please bring them. And then if you've got a few extra, would you bring some for our guests? Because this is going to be incredible. A few weeks ago, Lance and I were kind of like looking at the clock in the morning. We were hoping that it would be cool enough to have service. Now I'm hoping it's going to be warm enough to have baptism. But I'm sure it's just the Lord's going to have a wonderful day for us. Baptism is a celebration. I'll be talking about that in a few moments. But uh, after the service is over, we're just going to have a time to celebrate as a church. And there will be hot dogs and hamburgers and, and stuff for the kids. It's just going to be a wonderful, wonderful day to celebrate baptism. So I just want to let you know about that. And then toward the end of the service tonight, as well as all three services this weekend, we'll be celebrating communion. So baptism, communion. I want to talk about that for a few moments because the moment I use those terms baptism and communion, for a lot of us, um, there's an expression that kind of like flies like over that like a banner, and that is the rituals of the church. How do you feel when I use that expression, the rituals of the church? For some of you, it's like, oh, I don't, I don't want to think about that because when I go to church, it's boring, and they like have these rituals and sacraments and stuff that happen at the church, and I never did get into it. I don't understand it. So, you know, I, I never know when to kneel, when to stand, when to shake hands, when to put my coffee down. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't, it's the rituals of the church. It's like the moment I say the rituals of the church, instantly you see stained glass and you hear Boris Koloff music on the pipe organ, all right? For others of you, you your response is, I find comfort in the rituals of the church because I grew up in that, and so really, <laughs> even though we probably would never say it, we have sort of a divine nostalgia going on. It's the same thing that other people feel when they're like 60 years old and they hear Elvis. Uh, you know, it's like, ooh, that takes me back. And so there are some of us who have, oh, the rituals of the church makes me feel comfortable. And others of us still would say, my response to that statement, the rituals of the church kind of makes me scratch my head because I can't really quite figure it out. I know that it has something, you know, baptism and communion, there's something it has to do with the church. Others of us, we've come from environments, and in, at New Spring, we come from every imaginable background. <laughs> if you're a New Spring attender, you know, you could be someone who's still an agnostic. You could be someone who's come from the Catholic church. You could be like someone like me who comes from the Baptist church. 
You know, we, we come from every different imaginable background. And for some of us, it's like, well, Mark, the rituals of the church, it's like the secret handshake. It's like when you, when you learn what they're all about and you go through the classes and you can answer all the questions, then you become a member of the church. And it's like we do the sacraments and the rituals of the church because we belong to the church. It's a sign that we belong. Now, guys, I got to tell you, I, I'm trembling a little bit tonight because I know that tonight's message, I'm probably going to just like, come across wrong with someone tonight, and, and you're going to say, I, I don't know if I like that message or not. But my job is to communicate God's truth to all of us, including myself. And I just love you enough to tell you, there are no rituals of the church. There are no rituals of the church. If I've learned one thing about religion, is that religion can screw anything up. That is a fact. You know, so much of, of what we need to know as we approach God is we need to know what is of God and what is man-made. Because every religion you can imagine has man-made junk in it. And then when, sometimes we like come across what the Bible says and it's like, well, that doesn't square with what I was taught because I've picked up man-made junk. But guys, let me just tell you this. Long before there was any Catholic church, long before there was any Methodist church, long before there was any Baptist church or Presbyterian or Mennonite, long, in fact, centuries before there was any church with any name on it, there was a group of people who were the people of Jesus Christ, and they were up and cranking, and frankly, they were changing the world. In fact, you can almost draw a star over the point where the church started having a name as to when its effectiveness just tanked at about the fourth century. You know, I, I think what happens is over time, people like sit in a room and they say, hey, we're just going to add this. And, and sometimes, and you know, I can be a little freaky. I sort of wonder, is God up in heaven saying, ooh, the Baptists have added this. I guess I got to make a note of that in heaven. The Baptists have decided that you can't dance, so I've got to put that down right here. And, and oh, the Catholics have figured this out, so I've got to add this or I've got to change this. Friend, I've got to tell you something. God is so much bigger than all of our human experience. And like I said two weeks ago, he does insist on being God. And what God says is bigger than my upbringing. It's bigger than any of our upbringing. And so when I look at baptism and communion, one of the things that I, I struggle with as I look at the modern church is that many of us have gotten so much junk through the years from where we've grown up and, and stuff that many times we fail to understand what it's all about. So tonight, I want to take us back to the source. I want to take us back to the Bible, and I want to talk to us about baptism and communion. And, I want to, and, and here's the deal for all of us. No, regardless of what our background is, could we just like move that all aside for a moment and ask the question, what's it all about? What does God say? And what does that mean to me? As I said a few moments ago, I think one of the things that gets us off on the wrong foot is we sort of see these things as the rituals of the church. Here is what I begin to see clearly as I read the Bible when it comes to baptism when it comes to the Lord's Supper, is that what God is desiring from, from us is for us to be able to identify with Jesus. That is the whole point. Because there's going to come a day when all denominational names are going to pass away. 
when all systems of organized religion are going to pass away and all that's going to be left is Jesus Christ and the people who love him. I thought about this and something came to mind this week. I remember when I was in the fifth grade, time came for Christmas and a lot of times kids would bring other kids presents. And I remember getting a gift and opening it up from another girl in the class, and I hadn't really talked to her much and stuff, just I, but I opened it up, and I was blown away because this girl had bought me a really nice gift. And it's not something I don't think people wear today, but when I was a kid, we used to wear, guys used to wear what we called identification bracelets. Can any of you guys or ladies remember identification? Or maybe they still wear them today, I don't know. But it's like this chain, and then there is like a, a silver or gold plate. And on the top of the plate, you know, a guy would have his name engraved. And so I opened this present up, and out came this bracelet, really, really nice, pretty expensive bracelet for one kid to give another. And I looked, and it had my name on it. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. And I don't know if it was when I was putting it on or what, but I flipped it over, and right under the name tag with my name on it, it was her name. <laughs> that was when I learned some of the facts of life. I mean, this girl was saying, I'm giving you a bracelet. And you know what? The thing was, I don't think she'd ever talk to me. I, just, I mean, it was like, on the backside was her name. Guys, let me just tell you this, is that when you wear an identification with Jesus Christ, even though it's not in a bracelet, it's like it's got your name on one side and his name on the other. Isn't that much more intimate than a ritual of the church? That's what baptism is. That's what the Lord's Supper is. That's what communion is. When you are baptized, it is something so much more. This is why I tell people, never be baptized to become a member of New Spring Church. You know, we, if you're a member of New Spring, we want you to experience baptism, but not so that you will jump through our hoop, but so that you will have this, I, this wonderful identification with Jesus Christ. So tonight, with that in mind, I'd like to just walk us through several texts in the Bible that have to talk about baptism. Now, here is something that I've learned over the years, and you you hear me talk every weekend about accepting Jesus Christ. Is it possible to go to heaven without being baptized? Yes. Yes. Y-E-S. It is possible to be saved without ever being baptized. Why do we know that? For many reasons. For one thing, the thief on the cross prayed to receive Christ. You know, I ask you to pray with me every weekend if you haven't to receive Christ. He said, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Jesus said, boom, you're going to be with me today. Was he baptized? No, didn't have a chance to be. What about what the scriptures tell us? Is it possible to be a believer without being baptized? Well, there are a ton of verses in the Bible that tell us how to be saved that don't even mention Baptism. Whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, John 3, 16. Romans 10, 13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Acts 16, 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. How are we told? Over and over and over, believe, 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 and you will be saved. So, yes, it is possible. In fact, it is very probable that there will be many believers who have invited Christ into their lives, but they have never experienced believer's baptism. Now, I've been baptized, and and I preach baptism to us as a congregation because 
It is very important that we're baptized. But sometimes, I have to be honest, I have placed too little emphasis on baptism. Because in my haste to say it's not... Because see, there are people that say in order to go to heaven, you have to be baptized. That's just more man-made religion that screws up the real picture. So in my haste to be sure that I don't confuse that message, sometimes I haven't given baptism the emphasis that it deserves. So tonight I want to take you to what we call the Great Commission. This is in the book of Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And what this is all about is Jesus has already died on the cross, he's already risen from the grave, and he's getting ready to go back to heaven. And so he's instructing his disciples on how they are to carry out the ministry when he leaves. And this is why we call it the Great Commission. By the way, you remember, this is an old song for all you who remember music in the 60s. Sonny and Cher had a song called The Beat Goes On. And here we are tonight. We're now 2,000 years after Jesus rose from the grave and the beat goes on. We're still doing right now what what Jesus talks about in this Great Commission. So if it's Jesus' commission to the church... I think we should pay attention to it. Now, what we're going to see, and I'm I'm getting ahead of myself, but what we're going to see is Jesus tells his disciples to do three things. Have you ever been in a church that you just felt like was just burdened down with programs? Our church used to be that way. Three things. Three things. Jesus said, guys, he, he was dealing with guys like me, like Peter, you know, and John. He had to keep it real simple. Guys, I want you to do three things. Three things. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, number one, go and make disciples. That is the job of the church. You guys have heard me say this before. 85% of American churches are either flat in growth or they're in decline. You know why they're in decline? Because they're not obeying this part of the Great Commission. Make disciples. What does that mean? Think with me for a moment. What were these guys called? They were disciples, right? You remember the song, Jesus had 12 disciples, you know? I mean, these were disciples. What did Jesus say? Guys, you're not all there is. A lot of churches in America, they, they think we're the, you know, we're the frozen chosen. We're the ones that, you know, we are, it's it. We're waiting for Jesus to come. No. Jesus said, guys, you're disciples. Go make more. <laughs> and, and what he was telling them is give people the gospel, which allows people to make an eternal connection with God. So that's the first job of the church. And boy, I tell you, we believe it here. In verse 20, he said, teach these disciples to obey all the commands. And you're familiar with that. If you're at New Spring, you know I do that every weekend. I step before you and I teach the things that God commands. Like when I talk about anger, when I talk about, you know, following the Lord in service. And and all the the weeks I'm, I'm teaching. So, yeah, those are two things that are very important at New Spring Church. Number one, make disciples. Number two, teach But what is the third thing? Look in the middle. Go back to verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, guys, I tell you, it was like God's Spirit just kind of like really convicted me in the last year or so that I haven't given enough emphasis to this all-important thing of baptism because Jesus said, I just got three instructions for the church, three things I want you to do. Keep it simple. Number one, make disciples. Number three, teach. And number two, baptize. So given the fact that Jesus gives such a high, you know, such a high priority this thing, then I realized I need to pay more attention to this subject of baptism. Well, what is baptism? Because there are all kinds of freaky things about baptism. You know, sometimes one of the things that I know, and I know it's well-intentioned, but 
I do get kind of sad when I hear this, is that sometimes parents will come to me and they'll say, I need to get my kids baptized. I need to get my kids baptized. Pastor, I need to get my kids baptized. That is so wrong on so many fronts. Because first of all, in the Bible, there are no babies that are baptized. Beyond that, I'll give $1,000 to anybody who can find a scripture in the Bible here where God tells me to teach people to have their babies baptized. It's not there. That was added hundreds of years after the first century. I don't know what happened. Maybe people got kind of freaked and said, what are we going to do for our babies in case something happened? Well, let's baptize them. But that's not in the Bible. And beyond that, it's not even the purpose of baptism. It's not what baptism is about. When I study baptism in Scripture, one thing I see is that baptism is always for people who have personally made the choice to receive Jesus Christ. And the only people who can be baptized are people who have made the personal choice to be baptized. And see, I think this is what, this is, and I've, I just, I've, I've talked to so many believers, you know, or people who are struggling with their faith of 20 or 30 or something, and it's like, I'm not really sure, is it the fact that my parents did something when I was little, or is it something, you know, what, what is this all about? If we would just go back to the Bible, it would be so very simple. In the book of Acts chapter 2, the Bible says, and this was on the day of Pentecost after you know, thousands had accepted Christ. The Bible says, verse 41, therefore do those who accepted and welcomed his message were baptized. In fact, there were some people who wanted John the Baptist to baptize them, and he said, hey, you haven't received the message yet. Wait till you receive the message, and then come back for baptism." Scripture, to, if you, you, I'll, every baptism in Scripture, I can show you what happened. What happened was a person accepted Christ, and then they were baptized. What is baptism? Baptism is a testimony. It is a, you see, and I know I've said this to you before, and at the, at the risk of being redundant. What happens when you accept Jesus Christ is you make a personal choice to invite him into your life. When I prayed to receive Christ at the age of eight, I didn't even pray out loud. I didn't do any kind of Christian signs. I didn't, you know, do the sign of the cross. I didn't do anything. I was at the, you know, schoolyard playground, and I remembered a message that my pastor, who was my dad, had preached the day before. He said, if you will ask Jesus Christ, he will forgive you of every sin you've ever committed. I knew at eight I was a real sinner. And I can still remember this day bowing over, and, and while I was getting, this is what I love. I think this is so cool. While I was getting a drink of physical water, I got a drink of living water. I prayed to receive Christ, but I didn't talk out loud. You could have seen me 20 feet away, and you'd think, that's an 8-year-old kid getting a drink of water. But that wasn't what was happening. I was receiving Christ as my Lord and Savior. But there was nothing visible, nothing tangible, nothing external. Baptism is that visible, external thing that shows people we have had an internal change. I've always said one of the best illustrations of baptism and communion is a wedding ring. You know, many of us wear wedding rings. Now, the ring didn't make us married. The vows that we made, the receiving of that woman, the receiving of that man, that is what made us married. But most of us who are married wear wedding rings because that wedding ring becomes a tangible, visible, external symbol of a life change. And so when I prayed to receive Christ, That was one thing. But when I was baptized, 
that became something that I did for the Lord. It became that external, outward symbol of an internal change. Now, let me say that, uh, let me just kind of give you my own story, and maybe this will help you. You know, if you, were, if you put on a wedding ring before you got married, that'd be kind of cheeky, wouldn't it? Be kind of, we wouldn't do that, right? In fact, a wedding ring doesn't, it's not, doesn't mean anything until you've gotten married. It's very important to make sure that your baptism is on the right side of your salvation. Um, my story. I was five years old. Grew up in a pastor's home. My parents were very godly, and they wanted me to walk in the ways of God. And so I remember one night, I was, I can still see this, I was playing in the living room with some plastic figurines, and it was time for family altar, which was the time in which we read the Bible, my dad read the Bible, and we prayed. And so dad and mom were talking to me, and I know that it was very important to them that I followed Christ. And so they talked to me about salvation, and I prayed a prayer, but quite honestly, I didn't have any idea what I was doing. didn't have a clue. I didn't understand salvation. I just prayed a prayer. And the next day at church, you know, went, we used to have what we called invitations in those days, which is if you made a decision, you actually walked forward in church at the end of the service and you were there in front of everybody. And I did that, and, and then I was baptized. You know, my dad put me under the water, brought me up out of the water. So technically, I was baptized. But when did I tell you I was saved? How old was I? Eight. So now I have a problem on my hands. I'm really saved now. I mean, I've really understood the message. What, what did the Bible say? Therefore, those who accepted and welcomed his message. I, when I was eight, I accepted the message. I welcomed the message. But my problem is now I'm a little bit nervous about telling everybody I need to be baptized because, after all, I'm the pastor's son. I've already been through this thing once. But, you know, guys, let me tell you something. It was like God just really began, and he didn't talk to me out loud, but I mean, and I'm sorry to say it was six years before I dealt with this, but it was like as I got older, it was like God was saying, there's something between you and me. There's something between you and me. You don't have this settled. And I didn't talk to my parents about it. I didn't talk to anybody about it. I just like wore it on the inside. I knew I was saved. I knew if something happened to me, I'd go to heaven, but it was like, ugh. Do you know when you love somebody very much and they're just kind of grieved? You know what that feels like? Every married man said yes. <laughs> know what it feels like right now maybe? That's what I felt like. And we still had invitations back in those days. And, and then I'd get to the end of a service and the invitation, and it's like I need to wrestle with this, I need to settle this. And I can remember I was 14 years old. It was a small church. I was sitting on the back pew. All of us teenage guys were all cool. We sat on the back row of church acted like we weren't listening, you know. And I'm sitting on the end, and the invitation is starting, and I'm thinking, I, you know, God's like saying, you got to wrestle with this and get this settled in. So I'll like put one foot out in the aisle, then I'll pull it back, and then i put another foot out. And then finally, without realizing what I was doing, I put out one foot, and another foot was behind it. And you got to realize, I'm really a shy person, so invitations are not my favorite thing. But the next thing I know, I walk down, and I talk to my dad. I said, Dad, because he was conducting the invitation. I said, Dad, I've been saved. But I haven't been scripturally baptized. I don't have my baptism on the right side of my salvation. Baptism is a testimony. You can't testify to something that hasn't happened yet. I still remember that day. You know, it was like when you sing five verses of Just As I Am and hope somebody comes. And I think I was on the fifth verse, you know. 
And so dad said, and he just got, he told everybody, so this is what's happening in Mark's life. Mark's making this decision today. I'm just going to have another verse of invitation. Anybody needs to make a decision? People just started coming down the aisles because there were a lot more people. One of our Sunday school teachers came forward and said, I need to get my baptism on the right side of my salvation. They that gladly accepted and received his word were baptized. So that kind of tells us why baptism is important and and who needs to be baptized. But what exactly happens at baptism? When when a person is baptized, and I I need to hurry because we've got so many things to talk about tonight. When a person is baptized... They are, they are identifying with Jesus. They're like putting their name on the other side of the bracelet. Last week, if you were here, I talked to you in a message called Filing Jointly. I shared with you how we have been crucified with Christ. Now, we weren't crucified individually, but because we're filing jointly, what we are, we are identifying with Christ and saying, he died in my place, we're filing jointly. I'm crucified with Christ, yet I live. See, God has invented all these wonderful pictures so that we can have our name on the other side of the bracelet. What is the good news that leads to eternal life? It's so simple. Paul, in Scripture, gives us the gospel. In fact, he says, here is the gospel. Three things. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried, and he rose the third day. Paul said... That's the good news. That's all you need to go to heaven. You say, I don't need to join a church? No, that will screw it up if you think you have to do that. Do I have to be baptized? No, that will screw it up if you think you have to do that. The only way you can go to heaven is Jesus died for your sins according to the scriptures. He rose, he was buried, he rose again on the third day. And if you will believe, if you will receive him as your Lord and Savior, he will wash your sins away and put you into an eternal connection with Jesus Christ. Baptism is a picture of the gospel. What happens when a person's baptized? You'll see this 120, 130, 200 times if you come to Watermark. A person is placed below the water showing death and burial and then brought up out of the water (laughs) (laughs) to show resurrection. Now, here's the deal. What did Paul say? I'm crucified with Christ. Was I crucified? No. I'm just filing jointly. I'm crucified with Christ. Baptism says, I'm not only crucified with Christ, I've been buried with Christ, and now I have risen to live a brand new life. That is the testimony of baptism. Say, Mark, how do you know that? I don't know it on my own. Let me read it to you. Romans 6, verse 4. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Or one translation says, we are raised to walk in newness of life. You know, the cool thing about baptism, and don't raise your hand, but how many of you would say, oh, I would love to share my faith, but I have a hard time talking? Any of us like that? You're just a quiet person? You know, the cool thing about baptism is it doesn't matter how you are, whether you're real talkative or you can't talk, 
Baptism tells the story without a word being spoken. Several times I've been on foreign, in foreign countries, and I didn't speak the language, so I didn't know what they were singing about, and I sure didn't know what the minister was talking about. But baby, when I saw baptism, I'm right there with them. Because what I saw was somebody went through the motions of death, burial, and resurrection to walk in a brand new life. That I can dig. I don't even have to speak the language. And guys, when all these people are baptized on watermark, what every one of those people is saying is, I want everybody to know that the old me is dead and buried with Christ, and my past is buried. And all the ugly stuff about me that would cause me to drop like a rock, I have been crucified with Christ, therefore my sins have been paid for. I am now buried with Christ by baptism, and the old me is dead, and there is a brand new me who has come to life, and from now on the reason I'm living my life is to follow Jesus Christ. And that, ladies and gentlemen... Is what baptism is. It is not a ritual of the church. And for all of us who have been messed up with that, let's lose that tonight. Because if you've, been, if you've, if you've taken this step, you know the joy that it brings. If you haven't, I want to encourage you to do something right now. I want to encourage you to think about watermark being that time. When you take that bold step, you say, Mark, I've been a believer for years. I've been in the church for years. I know how that is. I've been there too. But I would just tell you this. I wish I could take you back. And again, I'm, I'm just probably wasting your time with telling you this personal anecdote. But, you know, I, how I was. I was 14 years old. I was really cool. I didn't talk much and everything, you know. When I took that step, I still remember this day going home and closing my bedroom door and going crazy with joy because I knew I had done what God asked me to do. And there was such a feeling of peace that came over me, a feeling of assurance. Wow, that transformed me. And then I got my, you know, got my composure, walked out, had dinner with the rest of the family, back in my coolness. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about communion for a moment. Because I already said, it's not the ritual of the church. It's that ID bracelet. It's Jesus' name on one side and our name on the other. And I've got to hustle through this because I could just keep us here all night. I love this. I just love this. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. Paul is writing. He said, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you, do this to remember me. Verse 25, in the same way he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this is the new covenant, the new deal between God and confirm with my blood, do this to remember me. Verse 25, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. I'll just stop there. We could read on, but I'm going to stop there tonight. And let's talk for a few moments. What a strange thing. And Jesus is with his disciples in the last night before he was about to be arrested, subsequently tried and crucified on that Friday. And he, they were accustomed to having the Passover meal, but Jesus said, got something new I want to do here tonight. Whoa. <laughs> this must be a really good point. <laughs> I don't know what you heard, but I heard the Lord saying, tell him, Mark. (laughs) 
He took a cup of, of juice or wine and some bread. And this is brand new. The guys had never done this before. And he took the bread and he said, this represents my body. And the juice, and he said, this represents my blood. It's the new deal. This is the new deal that's going down tonight. You know, there's covenants in the past, Abrahamic covenant, Davidic covenant, all those are enforced. But Jesus is saying, this is my covenant. And the deal is this, I'm going to pay for sins with my own blood. Now, here's the thing. You see, the reason why I call this series Identify is I've been trying to share with you what God wants from you is not necessarily to join a church, not to give money and all these things that God does want us to do because we love the kingdom. But in order to be right with God and have really right standing, what God wants from you and me is he wants us to identify with Jesus Christ. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. It's not me, but Christ lives in me. And in baptism, I'm going to be buried with Christ and I'm going to be raised with Christ to walk in a brand new life. That's, you know, baptism is a way of identifying Jesus Christ. Communion is one of the most intimate ways of identifying with Jesus Christ because we actually receive substance into our body. In a few moments when you get the the juice and you get the bread, you know, it's not communion just to set it down on a table and hold it. It's communion when we receive it. What does the Bible tell us about how to go to heaven? We receive Jesus. You know, you receive the the juice and the bread into your body, but it's a picture of when you receive Jesus into your soul and spirit. And he came in. What you did, when, you know, when you take the, you're, you're saying, no inhibitors. I am receiving this bread and juice into my body. It's a testimony. It's an identifying mark of one day saying, there was a point where we came to the place where we invited Jesus in and we received him as Savior and Lord. Wow. And that's what you're doing. Now, the difference between baptism and communion is baptism is something that happens really, I mean, in the sight of God, when we really get it right, it basically happens one time. I mean, if someone could say, well, I'm not really sure what my situation is. Maybe I was baptized when I was younger. I'm not really sure if it counted or not or whatever, but I just want to do it again to be sure. Well, that's fine. No problem. That's fine. It's good. But communion, on the other hand, is something that can be repeated often. The Bible doesn't tell us how often to do it. It just says as, as, as often as you do it. Guys, the Holy Spirit showed me something really new this week. This time last week, if you'd pinned me down and you'd said, Mark, what does communion cause us to remember? My answer would have been the death of Jesus. And it hit me twice that Jesus said something larger. He said, you do it. Listen, guys, this is so good. I, g- I gave this to Mary Alice today. We're sitting on our deck. You do it, Jesus said, in remembrance of me. See, for some of us, for some of us, when we take communion, we just like, oh, we see a crucifix. We see Jesus on a cross. And that's good because that's certainly what, it's, what it goes back to, the blood and the body of Jesus crucified for us. But Jesus didn't say, do this just in remembrance of the cross He said, do it in remembrance of me. See, sometimes we forget Jesus, don't we? I thought about my wedding ring. 
When I look at this wedding ring, I remember June 11th. 1977. Can I remember that day? Oh, absolutely. It's getting fuzzier, but I can remember that day. I remember the wedding dress that Mary Alice wore. I remember my tux. I remember our friends. I remember the wedding ceremony and the cake and all that kind of stuff. Guys, let me tell you something. Listen, this is good. When I look at this ring now, I don't just remember a bride standing at the altar. When I look at this ring, I see all the good times that we've had for, for so many years, for 31 years now. I remember trips to the hospital when babies were born. I remember going through the tough times when we hung together, when life got tough for us, and sometimes the ministry got tough for us. And I remember her being there for me, and I remember her staying up with me when I've been sick at night. And I remember the love that we have for each other. So when I look at this ring, I don't just see a wedding. I see all the years that we've had together. So when I I take communion, I do see the cross, but I don't just see the cross. I see what Jesus has done in my life and who he means to me and what he's doing right now. When I receive communion, I do it in remembrance of him. And guys, what the Holy Spirit has shown me has revolutionized my life. And I hear the rain that God says, that's God saying, Mark, that's enough. You've told him. <laughs> Let's pray for a moment. I've talked tonight about two pictures of what it means to truly know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I could be talking to somebody here tonight, and you say, Mark, I've never really come to know Jesus Christ the way you talk about it. I've known the church. I've gone through the rituals of the church, but I've never really had that kind of loving, living, vibrant relationship with Jesus. You can start that tonight. So that when you're baptized, you have something to give a testimony to. Like an eight-year-old boy on the playground of school in Fort Worth, Texas. You hear the message that Jesus died for your sins. And that if you receive him as your Lord and Savior, he'll wash every sin away. And he'll, that will initiate an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. Someday, the doctor will tell your family that you died. But that'll be a lie. Because that part of you that knows and thinks and is cognizant will go right on living. The Bible says to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. If you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can do that right now. I'm going to pray a prayer, and I'm going to pray it slowly so that if you want to repeat it after me, you can. I'll I'll say it slowly so you can think about it because what matters is not your words. What matters is your willingness to open up and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray together. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you died to pay for my sins. I believe you arose from the grave. I receive you as my Savior and my Lord and my King. Thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for transforming me tonight. I trust you to keep your word. In Jesus' name, amen.